fine. How do you feel about Super Metroid? Okay. It's kind of boring. Get off my podcast. <laughs> everyone back i guess to world 3-2 of the socks cast i am the mayor of this shit show polly and to my immediate virtual ride is the man who wrote the story of eastern wonderland rhett hi how are you today rhett doing good i didn't expect to have to talk to your dumbass again so soon <laughs> yep it's like we're doing a weekly podcast now don't give them any ideas and to my immediate virtual left, he's read the words between the lies, he's seen the serpents in disguise, it's John Thayer. Hi! How are you, John? I'm doing really well. I really didn't want to talk to your dumbass again this soon. Sorry. It's okay. I'll okay. forgive you this time. Thanks. And re- our returning guest on the hamper seat... He's appeared as a voice actor in exactly zero video games. It's Momi. Hi. How you doing, Momi? I feel like I'm going to fall asleep. Of all the people <laughs> that I wanted to see here today, I-, I think I wanted to see you here the most, though. Yay. These other losers, we're going to ditch them, and we're just going to start our own socks cast somewhere else. Okay. I'm lying. In your bed. I'm lying. You're fired. <sighs> okay. It's all right. So, before Skype decided to get a little bitchy last time, and so rudely interrupted the wonderful little discussion we were about to have, we were about to talk about Rugwiliques, or, as they're known as, roguelikes in American. Um, Momi, why don't you give us a bit of a rundown about what are these roguelikes? Well, basically, they're just... Dungeon callers, pretty much. You just go down a dungeon, do some things, try not to die, because if you die, you gotta do it all again. That's the fun part of roguelikes, is what I hear, is the part where you die permanently, and nothing is ever the same. Yep. So, um, I guess we should all sort of, I guess, give an opinion about what we see as a roguelike because i know if there's something that people who enjoy roguelikes love the most it's other people's definition of a roguelike so we've already gotten momi's sort of uh take on the genre so john why don't you hit me up what do you think are the core elements that make up a roguelike um well permadeath uh just as in every time you die you have to start the whole thing over again uh, randomization of the game world, where the environment and level designs shift every time you play the game, and generally some kind of resource management, like you're carrying around bombs or spell scrolls or hunger. Hunger, or hunger is a big one that I've seen. Uh, having looked at a lot of older roguelikes now, because Momi typically streams them, and I've noticed that hunger pops up a lot, and... Mm -hmm. That was in the original Rogue, so that makes sense. Hunger drives me insane. Uh, I was was playing, uh, uh, I think it's called Pixel Dungeon uh, on my phone, 
off and on, and it's just I would always get hungry. I'm like, no, game, stop that. I don't like that stat at all. Stop making me manage that. Um, <laughs> and, hey, Rhett. Hey. Why don't you tell us what a roguelike is? Uh, so, I agree with the big two, like the randomization and the permadeath part. But I think, to me, when I look at them, I think one of the big things is kind of how your character develops in different ways that you might not necessarily have a ton of control over. Kind of like how in Binding of Isaac, like the item drops are so randomized, like you don't know which way your character build is going in that way. Mm-hmm, that's true. You usually don't have a static character build for yeah. the whole game. So very heavy on randomization where not just the levels, but even your character kind of end up randomized. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And um, a lot of that has to do with like what resources you wind up with. And that can kind of, or skills that use those resources, you can kind yeah, of collect like if, different things. If there's a shop and you can't afford something because there simply wasn't enough money before you got to that shop, something like that. Mm-hmm. That's when you just kill the shopkeeper. <laughs> Depends which game. Yeah, is that a is that a common thing in roguelikes to be able to actually murder the shopkeeper? Um, none of the ones I've played, I haven't played very many that actually have shopkeepers. Like, I don't think Brogue has one or Rogue or any of those. And- yeah. I mean, that's the thing in Spelunky, pretty much. Well, yeah, yeah that's that's basically break the game uh, level seems, of Spelunky. It seems like when shopkeepers were introduced, it started getting to where you could kill them, I guess. Mm. I think you might be able to kill them in one-way heroics. I uh, haven't tried. You can steal in Link's Awakening. That's not a roguelike. <laughs> Don't be, a, don't, be, don't be a dumb. <laughs> if, okay, we're gonna, if, we're gonna, if we're going to take, like, every NES game is a roguelike. You, you <laughs> die and you start over. So I guess that we've got sort of, I guess we're all sort of in agreement then on our basic um, definition of what a roguelike is as it relates to typically dungeon crawling, um, mm-hmm. randomized elements, some sort of character progression, mm-hmm. um... And permadeath. Yeah. So, like, Dark Souls has roguelike elements, but we wouldn't qualify that as a roguelike. Fire Emblem Awakening may have I mean, roguelike elements, but we wouldn't qualify that as a roguelike. Uh, almost every like RPG that. is about building a character, but that's exactly. Like them. Rogue Legacy, I would not consider a roguelike. That's the yeah, I think that's like. I, I don't even think. Okay, it's a when we got into that realm, then we're just... <laughs> okay. I don't yeah. even. Th- I don't even think it's a roguelike. Like, I think it's just a platformer that has. Random levels. That has random levels, but for the most part, you can play that game the same uh, with every character you have, because they all have the same basic mode of attacking with a sword. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I haven't played Rogue Legacy. Does it feel good? Oh, oh it right. feels oh, incredible. That, yeah, that game. Okay. That game's really fucking good. Definitely cool. play it. All right, cool. Good to know. Um. Okay, so now that we've got the baseline of what a roguelike is we all know that there's an actual game called rogue right pcs that used to exist that exists and very few uh, people have probably actually played it i don't know i think i I think a lot of people i think a lot of people have played rogue and i would actually like um i know that john and momi have because 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 when because when rhett said I don't think very many people have played it. Those two said I have at the same time, so that was my clear indi- <laughs> that was my clear indicator that maybe they've played it. So uh, let's start with Momi and like let's get like sort of the gist. Like, what is it you get out of that game? Like, what 
is rogue. I mean, this is probably the most basic of all roguelikes. Am I correct? Yeah. So, so uh, give us a little rundown, and then, John, feel free to hop in and give him a hand anytime you like. I think, I mean, Rogue's basically just going around the dungeon, finding the uh, stairs to go down, and, you know, trying to find gear to use, and killing things, and hopefully not dying. So, in that sense, it's pretty much just like Spelunky and Binding of Isaac and all those games that we're playing nowadays. I kind of really like that game's presentation, too. Um, Rogue, yeah. Of being, basically, it's all ASCII graphics, yeah, and, like, that's... all of the all of the enemies or interactables or just letters. It's... it's... And, you, and the, I think the best thing is you actually quaff potions. You don't drink them. Yes! Oh, that is pretty great. I, I love they that game. To, they already were using D for another key, so they needed a different word for drinking. Oh, really? That's the reason? I thought it yeah, was... I so thought it was... Word I thought I thought it was just trying to be like fantasy accurate uh, or some degree. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. It I think actually... Rogue invented the word "quaff." Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. yeah. Well, it was just for that reason. See, or at it... least it was a PC RPG. See, this podcast might get some legitimacy yet. <laughs> where do we go in terms of older roguelikes? If we go from Rogue, where would we logically go next? Um, well, the roguelike I probably played the most of any of them. I don't think it's very old, but it's very deliberately styled as like an evolution of Rogue is Brogue, which is basically very similar to Rogue, except that um, it refines it in a number of ways. It basically does everything that Rogue does, but it takes it all down into like two or three keys and the arrow keys. So like use, equip, and then menu, and then the arrow keys, but it still does everything. So it's more mechanically and refined and usable in that sense. And it's also gorgeous. Um, Brogue is still ASCII graphics, just like the original Rogue, but it has this really strong use of color that's just really cool to look at. And playing it in that sense is always really interesting. And Plus, the levels that they uh, are created are way more dynamic than the original Rogue. In the original Rogue, it was basically square rooms and then pass it one hall, one square wide hallways between the rooms. Brogue, there are these big labyrinthine corridors that fit together as like sing- as whole rooms. And it's way more interesting. It's sounding a lot more like uh, Pixel Dungeon, but I don't think Pixel Dungeon is a remake of Brogue, is it not? Um, I don't know, but the, probably a lot of the games fit, fit that format, but I feel like if you want sort of a retro roguelike experience, I haven't played NetHack, which is the other big one, but I feel like Rogue is a Brogue is a really good choice and I've played it a bunch, and it's really fun. When you, said, Pixel now. when you said the name Brogue, I thought it was like a play on bro. Like I was about to say, I was about to say like everything um, a bro. So it doesn't. It's not that. No, it's not the broification of Rogue. That's what it sounded like. So is this like? Oh, totally. A mod or a sequel in spirit to the original? Um, I don't know. I'm looking it up right now. Like, who wrote Brogue? When did it come out? Um, Bro came out two thousand nine. Oh wow! <laughs> wow, that is that is in no way vintage. No, but it feels uh, made it's, by Brian so Walker. it's kind of like a modern evolution, but it really tries to maintain that same taste. Yeah, it's yeah. by Brian Walker, and so it's just what, a really clever little game. When is when did Rogue come out? Rogue that's a very good question. Nineteen eighty. Yeah, I want to say that's yeah. yeah that yeah. one's 
Wow. I feel there like there's two been games. Okay. NetHack's been in development on and off for like 20 years or something. I think it's finished. It came out in 1985 originally. As, no, 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 Hack came out in 1985, yeah. uh, which was a descendant of Rogue. Hack is 1982. So the, NetHack the one, is 1987, this one says. Yeah. So, the one thing I'm wondering about is, like, why did Rogue, like, suddenly get this huge surge in popularity within, like, the last five years? Because, like, you have the original in 1980 and then Hack. And, and, then... and they never went away, really, because there but, are, I mean, you can find instances of roguelikes on the Super Nintendo, and there, um, I know is that... A uh, roguelike? Is a Pokemon roguelike? Uh, Azure Dreams, I think, is, like, <laughs> was sort of my first experience on the PlayStation with uh, anything that had roguelike elements, because when you entered a dungeon in that game, every dungeon you entered at level one, and when you died in that dungeon, you got bounced back out, but it was still very much married to a normal RPG setup. So mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a great game, but it's probably because I wasn't really familiar with roguelike elements at the time, because I, I didn't grow up PC gaming, and that's where a lot, or pretty much all of your early roguelikes started. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the, yeah, I think a big part of it that just kind of held strong throughout the 2000s and everything were the mystery dungeon games, which were like, which were the Chocobo series for Final Fantasy and yeah, the Pokemon got, Mystery I've, Dungeons. I've played uh, the first Pokemon, or not Pokemon, but um, the Chocobo's uh, Secret Dungeon or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got one of those on PlayStation. And that, I, that's probably, uh, like, before, I want to say probably the Binding of Isaac is, uh, or, or maybe even Dungeons of Dreadmore uh, is the one that I put any significant amount of time in after... Uh, Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Dungeons of Dreadmore and, and um, Binding of Isaac were both 2011, and, and I, then Spel- I think, uh, Spelunky and FTL came out in 2012. So Dungeons of Dreadmore, th- th- I think that that's a game certainly worth bringing up because I think that that game really speaks to, to the modernization of the genre a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one that you know I saw people talk about quite a bit, and I know that Momi is a huge fan of the game. It's- um, give us a bit of give us a bit of a taste of what Dungeons of Dreadmore is and how it uh, does what it does with the roguelike genre and sort of like why you think that it caught on the way it did. I think it was mostly just the humor that was really great. Yeah, it's 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 actually really funny. Uh, I don't I don't think that you know engineers and people that write games get humor a lot, but I really genuinely, genuinely laughed out loud quite a bit when I was playing Dungeons of Dreadmore. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it, it's got all of those same elements that we've talked about over and over. Um, uh, it also has, you know, a mode that isn't hardcore, so it's actually a lot more accessible uh, than a lot of other roguelikes because you can just play it as a straight RPG with you know by dropping a save every now and then and you can reload that save, um, but uh, a- and it has so much character customization it's ridiculous yeah. it's, it's it's almost overwhelming at first because you start out and you can select I think six talents I want to say yeah. Yeah, I think you can select six talents to like invest into your character build, and as you level up, you can invest another point into you know whatever. Basically, uh, uh, they're just six sort of skill sets, I guess. Yeah, and, and, and then each have 
their progression through the skill sets to get different skills based on those. And there are so many different skill sets. Uh, It's simply overwhelming the first time you load that game up and see, you know, all of these options that you can choose from and building your character in any way. And the only way you're going to figure out, you know, what's going to work in true roguelike nature is I just got to try shit. It has a, uh, definitely has, I like it, or one of the expansions you can actually name in game too. <laughs> yeah, you get to name your own expansion, which is really cute. <laughs> and they, they've added so much content to that game. It is, it is unbelievable how large that game is. Um, I, I played it with everything on and, I, I, I played a good number of characters uh, to the point to where I eventually just kind of, I, I guess, got burnt out on it because, um, and, and we'll go into sort of the, I guess, the negative side of the genre yeah. uh, I, in a I, bit. But I booted it up and there is 51 skills to choose from and you choose seven. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's so overwhelming. You know, you've really got to kind of let go and throw yourself into the wind uh, the first few times you play that game and know that you're not going to make it very far. Um, but it's it's all in trying to find a skill set that works for you. Uh, and while, I, you know, I haven't... Pr- I probably, in all the time that I played it, probably didn't play with every single skill set. Yeah. I played with enough to know that there are things that, like, I gravitated more toward, and I felt like I could always customize my experience the way I wanted, and I never felt like I was wasting points because all of the skill sets are actually really pretty good. Yeah. And you get an achievement for the game crashing, too. Yeah! that's And again, that speaks to the very unique sense of humor that game has, and I think that, you know, that sense of humor and uh, the ease of accessibility... Um, that it had sort of, I, I think that that's sort of like the modernization of the genre, if we want to call it. That's sort of where the jumping off point is. Uh, it definitely starts with Dungeons of Dreadmore. I can't wait till a bunch of roguelike fans tell us we're wrong. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like when Binding of Isaac came out in 2011, like I had had heard of roguelikes by then, but I hadn't played any. So do you think Dungeons of Dreadmore was like when it really started to snowball? I think so. Um, I, it just really feels like, uh, like, I, The Binding of Isaac is definitely a roguelike, and I think that it probably had as much of a hand in the modernization of roguelikes as Dungeons of Dreadmore, but I think when, uh, people are looking for, like, I, like, I think more people come away from Dungeons of Dreadmore wanting a more RPG sort of flavored experience rather than a top-down action game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Binding of Isaac was the one that was like, oh yeah, these don't need to be turn-based necessarily. Yeah. And, and, which is a pretty dramatic change. Like, probably a lot of people are yeah. like, oh, roguelikes have to be turn-based. So, yeah. And th- that game definitely, like, I-, I think the Binding of Isaac also, I mean, it, I'm just going to go ahead and say it now, it's definitely what I prefer in a roguelike because it, you know, it it has those random elements. It has that bullshit that can happen at bad times. It has, oh, this game's just giving me all the shit luck in the world when it comes to items. But it also, like, I feel that my talent with action games is enough to carry me through most of my runs. Mm-hmm. Which can be feel really nice. Yeah, it really does. You know, you overcome the odds of a really bad setup because the game just, like, yo, you can have all the poop. And then you take the poop, and you make a poop castle. 
Mm-hmm. It's much harder to balance turn-based games because if it feels like bullshit, then there's well, they, no way to really like wiggle your way out of it. So they didn't even bother trying to balance the Binding of Isaac. In, fa- <laughs> in fact, in fact, Edmund McMillan said uh, something to the effect of, "You know, there, there, there's no point in balancing the game. I want it to have that feeling of I just found this super awesome thing and I'm going to break the game." So you know, I mean, there are there's an item in the game that lets you completely just one shot the final bosses <laughs> so and it's not that hard to get so uh, i think there's going to be even more of that stuff in rebirth yeah yeah where... i'm super stoked for rebirth cannot wait for that to come out it's they're adding so much shit to it it's on and like you you can combine weapons now in that one yeah so, like so... some of the combos are just like untested and like homing lasers <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know that game's going to be just completely bonkers. Um, but um, along with um, sort of, I guess, the modernization of the roguelike, y- you sort of look at Binding of Isaac, and uh, I think that it's sort of like the first major example of permanence as it relates uh, to the genre, where oh, yeah. where you start, you know, you, you start the game with a very small. Uh, set of random items that can appear in the dungeon, but as you play more, as you do more, you start unlocking more and more and more with each playthrough, and the game keeps you playing in that way. I think and that, I, I think another game that does that well is uh, Tales of Majail, where you can play through and you unlock different classes and storylines and stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of the more modern uh, offerings, uh, even One Way Heroics, uh, has a lot of that, where you can buy stuff at the end of your run with the points you've accumulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, when, when, I think that that gives people incentive to keep playing, uh, just adding things that, that make the game crazier, or adding things that can possibly appear in the pool <clears throat> that will suddenly you know, make this experience feel different. You always it doesn't feel like a wasted run if at the end of your run it's like well you know what you, here's something that you can unlock uh, later you're not you're not you're usually not just given immediate access to it it's usually just added to the randomized pool of items that you can get and I, I think plus that it's that's, a teaching tool it's right? a teaching it's exactly exactly a teaching tool and I think that that's like a really good hook that modern roguelikes have uh, have started leaning toward. Because mm-hmm. then there can be like a pool of six items at the start, and then you learn like the basic moving around, not dying, and then as you learn that stuff, you, there are more and more items are added to the pool, and yeah. the things you, your options grow more complex yeah. as you are more. Ex- you can have more abilities to use that complexity. Yeah, more, the, I think the most recent example of that is Crypt of the Necro Dancer, uh, which mm-hmm. which I mean, on top of you know, like the Binding of Isaac, it's not you know, a, a standard turn-based kind of game. Um, it's, you know, everything is in rhythm with the music. So it's got its own cool little spin on the genre, but it's also got a lot of that persistence that can keep you coming back and keeps, you know, it keeps the game fresh. And yeah, the, the, I, I think that that's sort of, like, like, I don't know where the genre goes from here, but I know that adding some degree of permanence without, you know, not doing permanence the way that Rogue Legacy does it, but just adding random things to the pool and, you know, creating all sorts of new possibilities for the player that they can encounter. I think that's a really smart direction for the genre to go. Yeah. I kind of got frustrated with Isaac because 
there's so little stuff in the beginning, and then I would see like the pro runs, and they're just getting like completely overpowered stuff, and it's just like, well, I could probably do better if I had access to that stuff. Yeah, that is definitely a problem because it's pretty um, hard starting out. Yeah, it is really, really hard starting out in Binding of Isaac, especially if you jump right into Wrath of the Lamb because that Mm -hmm. game, because the Wrath of the Lamb's difficulty is sort of already has expected you to have beaten Mom. Um, And when you go into that with a fresh install, all vanilla, you're, you're just asking to get completely fucked. (laughs) but yeah i can see how the adding unlocks and to the game makes it more appealing for people who like to have some sort of progression and treadmill for things to look forward to instead Mm -hmm. of just just a little bit of that so yeah i think it was good in ftl where you could unlock the later ships and stuff Mm -hmm. but it didn't feel like i was handicapped because not having those exactly which would just kill that yeah experience so we've already talked about, I think, two of the games we've already picked. So I'm going to jump around the conversation here a little bit before we go over the bad of what um, the genre does. or the, Not really the bad of what the genre does or what's terrible about it, but just things that are definitely putting people off. And, uh, uh, Rhett, why don't you tell us about your favorite roguelike? Uh, my favorite roguelike is Splunky because it's a platformer. And I really <laughs> like platformers. That's a pretty good reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I, I don't know why, but I guess there is some debate as to its validity as I, a, a roguelike. But I still see that it has those same elements that we, mm-hmm. you know, it qualifies under the, you know the same. Yeah, if Splunky banner. isn't a roguelike, then Binding of Isaac isn't a roguelike, and I think that's silly. Yeah, so. it's way, it's way more in that direction than uh, Rogue Legacy is, where Rogue Legacy. Like, you're built, buying upgrades before each life, so no life is ever truly starting fresh. Right. Mm-hmm. Splunky, you have the shortcuts, but those don't even really count if you're talking, like, pro runs. Nah. Mm-hmm. But Only pussies use shortcuts. Cut it out, I mean, people. They you are know. good. There are shortcuts? Tunnel Man. Yeah. Huh. You never got to no. Tunnel Man? I never talked to Tunnel Man. I just go straight for the door every time. Oh. Well, maybe you didn't make it more than four levels in. <laughs> There's more... No, wait, do you mean, like, more past 1-4 or past 4-4? Four, four? Past 1-4. There should be a I've guy made it there. To, I've made it to World 3. I just, oh, never, talked whatever. To, just never bothered talking to Tunnel Man. Anyways. Right, anyway, as you're saying. <laughs> what I think was interesting, I didn't even realize it till Polly mentioned it, at the very start when we were talking about, like, what defines a roguelike, none of us mentioned, like, turn-based or what kind of game it has to be. Yeah. And then yeah. Finding a Isaac is just kind of this top-down shooter slash Zelda thing. And then... Mm-hmm. Splunky is a platformer. We're more open-minded than everybody else, clearly. (laughs) Like, I had no idea, really, because I haven't played them, that even Rogue was a turn-based thing. Like, it's interesting that that's an element of the genre that has kind of been bred out, I guess, maybe, where they don't have to be a turn-based affair anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think think it's a matter... That's not essential. It's a matter of people finding really interesting and i guess more fun and engaging ways to interact with the idea of you know this is the only life you have you know yeah Mm -hmm. so about splunky the one thing i really like about it is that even though it's chaotic and the random levels and stuff there's still a predictability to it where like once you really know the game you know how the enemies move like how far you can jump how fast you run so even when it feels like the game gives you a bad hand, like 
you can use skill to overcome it, just like Binding of Isaac. Yeah, I don't need the jetpack and the shotgun to be... Oh, well, jetpack. the jetpack's really good, though. It's really good, but I don't need it. I've, <laughs> yeah. beaten, I've beaten Olmec without it, so yeah. it's completely possible. It's still, you know, it, 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 it relies on a different skill set. It's definitely a sk- skill-based game, but it has the infinite replayability for me because it is random every time and, like, just enough changes to where you can't just, you know, memorize a level and jump through it like Super Mario Brothers or something. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the score-based nature of the game when you get into stuff like the Daily Challenge... Oh, yeah, that stuff's really cool. That, where... that's, that's a really damn smart idea for keeping the game alive. Even yeah. though, even though you know, unless you know you're you're getting to the city of gold, um, and unless you're getting you know a jetpack and a shotgun, you're you're not you, you'll probably barely be first among your friends. The thing, <laughs> the thing that is cool about the daily challenge, though, is that everyone's on the same playing field. Yeah, it's up to you whether you're comfortable enough jacking that shopkeeper or not. But nine times yeah. out of ten, the people that are in the top ten are going for it. Oh, the so, people! Are, the people of the top ten are beating hell. Yeah, it's that is insane <laughs> I mean, to me. It's pretty competitive. That is insane to me. The one thing that kind of killed uh, the scoring for me in that game, though, was the ghost. Yeah, ghost mining is oh, definitely yeah. that it's really boring. Something. It's this thing where I'll explain it for people who don't know. Where if you spend more than two minutes on a level, I think it's maybe it's two and a half minutes. Two it's and been a, a while. It's one hundred and fifty seconds. Something like that. If you spend too long on a level, a ghost shows up that'll just one-hit kill you. But if you move the ghost, like, it chases you around. If you move it over gems, they'll turn into diamonds, which are worth, like, five times as much. So, And that's basically the, what all of the pro runs do now is... The pro is, runs, like, don't touch a single gem and just canvas the ghost all over the thing. So, like, the $3 million re- world record, whatever it is, that run is, like, three hours long. Or I, I thought it was like eight, and a typical. And a typical oh, you know, I think you're right. It is like eight or nine, actually. And a typical oh. spelunky run really should not be going over thirty minutes. Yeah, that's. I think that's pretty busted. Yeah, it's. I get that it's a, a really good risk reward strategy because in the daily challenges I've tried to do it, and half the time I like, whoops, I screw up and die because I don't have a cape or a jetpack. But it does slow the game way down. Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate, but that's kind of getting into the minutia, not really the roguelike. You can really play the game and just ignore that aspect of it. You just won't be as competitive. Yeah, there's so many ways you can play the game too. Like, there's an achievement for getting to the end with no money at all. <laughs> so it opens up this whole meta game where you're like trying to whip gold out of your way so you can jump over it. My God, that's brilliant! And then there's another achievement for like beating the game in eight minutes, which it's is kind of just... like how you can beat Super Mario Brothers just getting one coin. Wow. And it's it... <laughs> I never heard of that. That's, that's pretty cool. I know people yeah. do. I know. I know people do uh, runs of Super Mario World uh, and uh, never getting big or ever grabbing a coin. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool that Splunky has one of those kind of crazy, like the what's an Ikaruga, the dot eater stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, yeah, it's crazy alternate mode that's built into it. So I, mm-hmm. I've done the no gold challenge. That was quite difficult. You, are, <laughs> you also did co-op by yourself. <laughs> that wasn't too bad because I could just Wait, carry. There's local multiplayer. And there's an achievement for getting two characters to the end, and I did that myself. Because you can just pick up the second character and just toss them around. <laughs> so it's basically beat the gun. Oh. 
God, what was it? I'm getting really in depth here. <laughs> That's okay. I had a controller a setup game. where player I mostly played as player one, but then who would pick up player two, and then player two would pick up a shotgun, so I could still fire the gun. And I think there's even no kickback if you're being held while firing a shotgun. <laughs> it's on his YouTube. That's brilliant. Well, I think I posted some of my failures on the, the YouTube. I think you've got your complete run there too, don't you? Maybe I don't know. I know the gold one is on there. I know that you you used. <laughs> I know that you used really cute poly and ret sprites for it. Yeah, though. that too. <laughs> that was really awesome. Um, yeah, I like this game enough to where I modded it to put some characters in it, like Polly and myself. Because I have like a hundred fifty hours, maybe something stupid on Steam. That's, Dang, that is nuts. But yeah, the thing about that is that. There is so much depth in that game, and it's not locked at the start. Like, you just you learn the physics of that game so incredibly well the more you play it. Yeah, nothing in that game. Like, all of the items can appear in the rotation at any time. There's never anything that's locked. So mm-hmm. the only permanent yeah. thing is the are the shortcuts, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think those are really intelligent because, like, when Practicing. you first start off that game, it feels insurmountable. Like, how am I going to get to the end? And then. If you can unlock the shortcut to the jungle, and then you start in the jungle, and you can kind of learn that area, and then you you know you start building up, and then the shortcut to unlock that the temple. It's really helpful. It's really helpful. So the shortcut to the temple requires bringing an item from the mines. But I think what's really interesting about having to bring the key from the mines is that up to that point, if you've been using shortcuts, like you could just start at the mines, then start starting at the jungle, and then start in the ice caves, and then to unlock the temple, the game is like, okay, you have to start from the beginning, do the whole thing in one run. So it's really mm-hmm. this big moment when you finally do that, and then it kind of teaches you towards eventually beating the whole game in one run. Yeah, you, you definitely get a sense of, oh, hey, you know, that you, you look back at your achievement, and, like, you, that, that, that moment when you finally do it, you look back and think, holy shit, the first time I booted this game up, I, I, was, yeah. I was dead in two minutes. In the fucking mines. And yeah, now, and now, getting to 1-3 was an achievement. And now I am running this game from 1-1 to 4-4. And then, eventually, when you start learning about the the City of Gold and the the black market, oh, and then God. getting to Helja the first time and dying, and then it's just an incredible game. It's really good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Spelunky is incredible. Love and it, it is that random element that keeps you going, because you can never rest on your laurels like you have to be paying attention all the time you have to even try to be aware of things happening off screen that you might not see happening yeah that's one of the things i will say kind of the negative for roguelikes is when shopkeepers get pissed off off screen and you have no idea and they just shoot you <laughs> it's like i didn't even do that shit man so is that spelunky that's spelunky we talked one about thing- spelunky dungeons of dreadmore <laughs> and the binding of isaac And now, John, I believe you have a very unique entry here. Yeah. Let's hear about it. Uh, My favorite roguelike ever is 868-Hack. What the hell is 868-Hack? It is an iOS game by probably the best game designer alive right now. Uh, Michael Bro. Brogue? Michael Bro? Bro. Bro. Bark. 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 But yeah, I like to think it's bro or brogue because then it sounds like rogue and then you can think of his games as like brogue likes. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So what is this game? All right, 868 Hack is a turn-based 
um, roguelike for the iOS that it, where every where you have to progress through eight levels, and every screen is six by six squares, and there's like four enemy types and two types of resources and a, a certain number of programs you can collect and use to get through the levels. So it's basically just this super duper stripped down, really really well-balanced roguelike experience. And as far as I can tell, it's basically just completely bullshit free. Like I've, it's every time I've failed in that game, it's been the result of failures on my part. And even though it's very randomized and you get a different loadout each time, it always just is just immaculately balanced, which is kind of incredible. And so, so it yeah. like takes place in the computer world. Yes, you're a hacker in the computer world, getting past Are you enemy a hacker. Exactly, <laughs> and getting past these enemy program things, so that you can get to the top and steal the data. And yeah, it's just this turn-based game. You, your your avatar is actually really powerful because it can shoot across. The, you control it all with. You can select from the programs you have on the side. You can drain for resources, and then you move left and right and up and down. And if there's enemies in the direction you're moving, then you'll instead fire an automatic um, gun that laser that goes across the screen and hits them. And if you hit them, then they get frozen for that turn and can't move until the next turn. So you're so, actually really powerful. Yeah, what were you saying? Are the programs like your upgrades, like... Yes, the, the programs are like your upgrades. So, like, what do, what do the programs do? Like, what are some examples? All right, there's one program that, um, well, there's one enemy type that can go across wall spaces. There's basically just wall spaces and empty spaces, and the debuggers can go across wall spaces. And the only way that you can and what you, there's a program that kills every enemy on the screen that is overlapping with another tile with like a wall tile which is usually always the um, those enemies. So you can kill all the enemies that are on top of another wall tile. There's one enemy that takes it takes the nearest um, red guy and ex- he blows him up and hits all of the enemies around him for a certain amount of damage. There's one that just damaged, damages to every virus on the screen once. Um, the enemy types are... There's one guy who moves one per turn and ha- takes three hits to kill. One guy that takes two that moves twice per turn and takes two hits to kill. One thing that you can't see unless it's in a cardinal direction relating to you and moves one per turn and takes two hits to kill. And then one per turn, two hits to kill, and can go across walls. And that's it. Interesting. Yeah. That's- so it's super elegant and just really astoundingly put together and really fun to play over and over and over again. I've heard a lot of people talk about it, uh, especially uh, I follow people like Christine Love and stuff online. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen her talk about it quite a bit. I don't have, I don't use an iOS device Yeah, now, that's, so. that's, that's the bummer, is that it's only on iPhone and he hasn't ported it to PC yet. He's working on it, but he's one guy and yeah, so... <laughs> Maybe and, someday. And, and it's something that I de- I would definitely want to check out because I'm always into like that weird computer kind of aesthetic and just mm-hmm. really weird digital era bullshit. So. Exactly. All all of his games have this cool aesthetic to them. He's made some of my favorite puzzle games ever, which are Corrupt and the game titles, 
He's made one of my favorite weirdo artsy conceptual things, Vesper 5, where you move one – it's the same – all of these are like tile-based, turn-based. Vesper 5, you can move once per day. Oh my god, what? <laughs> yeah. So okay, Vesper yeah. 5, it's just this tile-based game where there's no enemies and you can move once per day. And I played that with Anna and um, we just both sat down together and thought about what we wanted to do and made our move. And then we had closed the program. So, and then it plays all of your moves up to that point every time you sit down. So by the end of it, it's like two minutes long. And you're just watching like a hundred moves. <laughs> so we played it for like a year. And that then we is, beat it. That is right up there in the artsy fart department, I gotta yeah. say. That's one hell of an energy system. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, so he made one of my favorite artsy fartsy conceptual things. He made, one, he made a bunch of – he made these amazing puzzle games. He's made um, – and he's made a bunch of roguelikes. But and, he, he made, and he made this um, two-player um, uh, kind of like card-based action versus game called Glitch Tank where you both have a set of random cards that do make your tank do things and you try to beat the other player. And all of them are just like these amazing perfect games. So but, it's kind of so. Would you put would you put eight six eight hack as like cream of the crop? Then I don't. I honestly don't know. It's my favorite roguelike ever, and I'm not sure it's my favorite Michael Bro game. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, so I'm probably, probably so, pronounce his name correctly. So Dungeons of Dreadmore, Spelunky, The Binding of Isaac, and eight six eight hack. We are clearly the most modern of roguelike <laughs> uh, enjoyers. That's a word, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. All in the last three years. All of those games made in the last three years. Spelunky, Spelunky the Game Maker version came out in 2008, I think. So. Yeah. I've actually, kinda, I've actually got I've got the source files for that game, and it's pretty bonkers. <laughs> having that's had funny. A, having had uh, a look at it in Game Maker, it's pretty damn bonkers. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a Game Maker game? Yeah, the first yeah. original. Yeah, the original Spelunky is a Game Maker game, and you can actually oh, wow. he actually has the source... Um, uh, importable file on his site for anybody to play around with. Oh, that's neat. So, yeah. Four good games that you should check out. But they all come, I guess, with... Uh, 868 hack. <clears throat> they, they all come with uh, some niggling issues that, that, you know, depending on the kind of games that you're looking for, depending on how much tolerance you have for the inherent random nature of roguelikes. They, they, they come with some caveats, such as, well, Momi? Shit. What's some kind of stuff that, uh, uh, as a fan of the genre, is there really anything you don't like about them, or are you totally okay with the, the way that some of those games can seem bullshitty? Bullshit enemies and bullshit traps. <laughs> Dungeons of Dreadmore, uh, the, the reason I quit playing that game was that I lost a 12-hour save to, uh, I opened uh, a monster zoo. Oh, uh, yeah, and monster zoos are fun. 12 hours? Yeah, I had about 12 hours on a character. Um, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I opened a monster zoo, got completely swarmed, and it was permanent death, and there was literally nothing I could do. Oof. How far down were you? I don't even remember. It's been far, way far down. Yeah, there's you uh, try and fight Dreadmore. Oh, uh, well, and then I think there's something after that. Now I don't remember. I still haven't yet to get there. 
There's also Diggle Hell, which I've heard bad things about that. Uh, also, farther down, there's traps that degrade your armor and equipment. Oh my god. Yeah. See, it's probably a good thing I quit that game when I did. Yeah. You know, so but, yeah, basically, but... every build, I have trap sense. <laughs> that's a smart move. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the reason I sort of quit that game, was because I, I feel that... I, I kind of wish the games were designed, I guess, a little better to kind of prevent things like that. But I guess that also takes away a lot of the mystique of the genre itself. Yeah. Is that there are going to be things that are out of you know your reach. You know, I have to try and approach the genre these days with I'm never going to beat this game, and then just be happy if I accidentally do. Yeah, um, yeah that's j- something that's kind of cool about a lot of the new ones we're talking about is that beating them is actually feasible. Like the original Rogue has an ending but you're yeah, not pick, gonna reach I, I, it no. i think pixel dungeon has what how many floors is it i think I it's know. i think it's something like 32 floors mm-hmm. and Bro- rogue and brogue have 26 and and i know that like like when i started playing that you know because i play it on my off time uh when i'm just farting around with it at work or something um you know i'll just throw in and i'll start a character like yeah i have to go in with like there's no way i'm gonna beat this game and i'm not gonna hold it against this game if it fucks me over because it's it's just designed for me to never win it's it's a death dungeon simple as that yeah Mm -hmm. with that game i've only made it past the first boss yep i think that's about as far as i've gotten to i've had a i've this is kind of like my experience with ftl or i played that game on easy (laughs) oh god and I yeah. got to the for- and I got to the last boss on like my fourth try, and then I died, and yeah. then I got to the last boss on like my next try, and then I died, so and then again and again and again. Bullshit. Yeah, I don't understand how I can be. It can be super easy to just get to the end of the game, but then just make that last obstacle just completely insurmountable. See, I had the exact opposite problem with FTL. Like all of my runs, like I just felt like I was getting dealt nothing but shit. And I put a significant amount of time into that game, and it feels like, in that game at least, there are just so, like, there, like, I imagine this giant pool of good and bad things that can happen to you, and it just feels like the, the, the amount of bad things that can happen to you far outweighs anything good that can happen to you. Like, it almost felt like a 70-30 split for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I just, I kept getting nothing but shit. And, like, I wasn't unlocking ships. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't able to get to the uh, capital ship or imperial ship or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But that game just a- annoyed me with how often, like, everything that happened was just like, well, what do you want me to do with that? This game has given me literally nothing to combat any situation with. Yeah. Did you play it on normal? I played it on easy and normal. Mm. I cheated to get through it, so. <laughs> yeah. I, don't uh, blame you. I just had a bummer experience because it was like, I'm okay if I can't get even close to the ending because then I can just enjoy it as like an arcade type thing. Right. And I'm okay if I can beat the game because that's fun and I like beating games. But if I can get to the end of the game like consistently and then have this one thing be so much harder than everything else in the game, that it's just that's, seems That's off. the one thing that I've heard like most people that have beaten the game. It's like, that ending battle is supposedly like the most bullshit thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I might have gotten to the third. There's three forms yeah. to the final boss. So you have what? to fight him three different times. <laughs> yep. Oh my god. That yeah, is... I think I got to the third form once, but after like a perfect run, uh, and then the third form is like the most strongest one. So, jeez. Yep. What do you want from me? Yeah, that game seems 
like Polly said, even more luck based than most, where you actually have to get good luck to actually have a chance of beating it. Versus have to have good luck to get like a perfect world record score, which yeah. feels yeah, kind of different. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do though with the fact that you can't really explore that much. Yeah, you you are put on a very harsh time limit of getting out of every sector because of the advancing fleet behind you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want to poop on FTL, so... Don't want to poop on it so much since you guys just did, but my experience was pretty much in between Polly and John's, where it felt really easy, and then all of a sudden I would just come up against an enemy, not even the final boss, where I'm just completely outgunned, like... The difficulty every run would always just hit a wall. Mm-hmm. It just didn't feel particularly balanced well. Where it's just mm-hmm. like I'm either just putting on autopilot and just like blasting through enemies, or oh, this guy's putting up a fight, and oh, my whole shit is on fire, and now I'm dead. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. which is shame because it presents itself so nicely, right? Oh yeah, it, it has. I love amazing, how it controls, plays, it, looks. It, it has a really smart interface. Um, the 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 visual design is really nice and slick, uh, and the music is whoo. That's a great little soundtrack. Yeah, and just the whole concept is so smart. Yeah, it's it. You know, I I haven't played any of the more updated versions. I know they did sort of like an FTL oh. Advanced Edition, and I know that oh, they really? they added yeah. some stuff yeah. to it. Uh, and I think that update was free on PC, actually. That's cool. I wonder if they balanced it, if they put any changes into that. Nope. No? no. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. You've played it? Yeah. Nothing different, like huh? new weapons and a new race of people. And new now the final find. boss is still... <laughs> yeah, new, final new... boss is still bullshit. Yeah. New weapons you'll never find, new crew members you'll never get, and more enemies that will stomp your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the combat in the game, but it I could never really find the depth in it where my strategy was just kind of shoot the enemy's guns out and then shoot their shield generator out and then mm-hmm. kill them. Yeah, you pretty that's much... I, I pretty much approached Then shoot throw two and... Yeah, that's I, pretty, I pretty much approached every encounter. I felt the same way. There was definitely sort of like a method to winning yeah. every fight if you had the firepower to do so. But then you just stuff come up- like opening your shield doors to st- starve oxygen from fires is amazing. Yes, that yeah. stuff was really cool. Uh huh. Like there is cool stuff in that game, but it's just mm-hmm. like it felt like every a couple zones in, I would just come up against an enemy that had stronger shield regeneration than I had guns, and it's just like there's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the random elements of roguelikes are definitely like it's a curse. Like it's a blessing and a curse because mm-hmm. it, because a lot of the weird random things that I've seen happen in both Isaac and Spelunky, you know, like I've seen some really awesome shit happen in those games because of the random elements. But at yeah. the same time, those elements will fuck you over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that was probably the funniest moment in eight six eight hack for me was that. Okay, I have this program called Debug that wipes out all these purple enemies that can crawl on walls. So the whole game I've been using it as the purple enemy D killer. <laughs> and then I get this thing called Step that lets that gives me a free move where I can move once and the enemies won't move too. And that costs a certain amount of resources. Then I find out that I can use Step to go onto walls. Oh wow. So Oh no. So I go onto a wall. <laughs> I know what's coming. And then the purple enemies come at me, and I'm like, okay, I can deal with these guys. I use debug, and I die. 
And when you go back to your high score screen, it lists your cause of death. And usually, and all of them are cause of death, this enemy, cryptog, virus, whatever. And then it listed dot debug. Wow. <laughs> it listed my own program as the thing that killed me. That's and awesome. And it was this so out there, conceptual, oh my god, that makes so much sense. You're a thing on moment. the wall. That was oh oh oh, it's the the descriptions for the, all the programs are deliberately vague, and for debug it's deletes overlapping instances. <laughs> oh, so poor John. He yeah, got, he got he deleted himself. Oh my god! So but yeah, I actually like that kind of thing where it's something you know that not to do that again makes sense. because yeah. it's, it's consistent with the game's logic where mm-hmm. you're, you're learning things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's not a random thing. It's totally working as intended. It's mm-hmm. just, didn't know that was going to happen. Like the, like the spikes will come out of the columns in Spelunky. Once you learn that's there, you can yeah. avoid that. Yeah. What it has to teach you. But then once you know, mm-hmm. and there's an argument to be made, like maybe a game shouldn't teach you in a way that involves killing you, but I, I mean, feel like in Rogue Likes it kind of works a little better. <laughs> it, it, it works, yeah. It works. I think it works to the genre's favor because mm-hmm. I, most Rogue Likes I've played don't typically take a super long amount of time to play through. Like yeah. twelve hours is insane for yeah, yeah. Losing, losing a character in twelve, like with twelve hours of work, that just felt way too brutal for me to continue. But you know, it's like I'm Dragon just, Quarter. But if I'm just, <laughs> but if I'm just playing around. Uh, in a, a Binding of Isaac game or something, and I come across a weapon combination that I've never tried before, and it's not so great. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I had no idea, you know, like that this would be the interaction with this specific item and this weapon. You know, if that happens, it's like okay, I know not to do that again. Ipecac and boomerang tears. I don't recommend it. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, those are the things I really love in roguelikes are those kind of interactions that sprout up out of the system of rules. So bullshit yeah. really bullshit clever. bullshit enemies and randomness that feels largely out of the player's favor. Yeah. Can I just tell one story about Splunky where there was one of the daily challenges where there was just a tiki guy, like with the boomerang, standing right near the entrance of one of the rooms. And like there's the one or two seconds where the screen isn't moving when you're loading into a level, I see that guy standing there, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm just about to die. I'm, like, hammering on jump. Instant the, the level starts, he throws the boomerang, hits me into spikes. I'm like, oh. there really wasn't anything I could see that I yeah, could do there. Yeah, I've had that happen a few times. This is like, oh. okay. It, 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 it doesn't happen often, but in Spelunky, I've gotten myself completely trapped because the game didn't dispense enough bombs or i wasn't frugal enough with them yeah um but i ended up in a you know a completely unsolvable map because i couldn't bomb my way out there weren't you know ways to drop down that I, that i didn't have to create mm-hmm. um, but that was something that only happened twice in all the time that i've played the game but you know mm-hmm. again that just speaks to the we- really weird random and chaotic nature of the genre itself yeah and i say that 868 hack is bullshit free and i i mean that but that's only because it's able to strip all that, those kind of elements down to literally a six by six grid. Yeah, there's yeah. for not, each level. There's so not a lot of thing like the bigger your maps get, or the larger in scope the game gets overall, 
the more you're going to have a problem with those random elements. But if you were dealing with a game that is literally just a 6x6 grid, you're talking about a very small area of real estate that you have Mm -hmm. to compensate for when random things happen. You can feasibly test your game Mm -hmm. uh, very reliably. If you spend a year putting it together and testing it among every, every friends before you release it, then you have something that actually might just be bullshit free. Right, right, right. That's probably I the mean, only one of those roguelikes I've, can, I've seen that is that. I mean, 6x6, six six, you could practically test every single possible yeah, variance. Yeah, it, it, would <laughs> it wouldn't be that hard. Mm. Yeah. But when you're dealing with something on the scale of Spelunky that really thrives on that kind of chaos anyway, there's no way you can test every single room piece and every single configuration on every single map size. It's impossible. The funny thing is that Spelunky, the maps are actually like these 4x4 grids of pieces, but I digress. Oh, really? Like, like the way the maps are put together are kind of these chunks of real estate that are hand designed but then they fit together in kind of random ways that's interesting but then like yeah, stuff a lot of, a lot of stuff like kind of enemies or spikes are just totally random like within those mm-hmm. there's this ios endless runner thing called whale trail that was like that where every there's a bunch of different individual sections of design that they then squeeze together yeah. so it's like f- partial procedural generation that can be useful yeah, Rogue Legacy is the same way where the rooms are obviously... There are prefab hands. pieces. They're prefab yeah. rooms, but then the enemies that fill them are mm-hmm. randomized. Yeah. Or that endless mode in Mega Man 9 where every screen is like handcrafted, but then they throw them together in yeah. different ways. Yeah, And that stuff can be fun. I do like random maps. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't necessarily make it a roguelike. It's like you think something like you know Dark Souls would be pretty neat. Oh my had, god! If it had would, some randomness to it, I would never stop playing randomly yeah. generated dungeons in Dark yeah, Souls. That's true. <laughs> that would be so fucking cool. But I mean, a lot of what I like about Dark Souls One is how interconnected those levels are, and you would lose something yeah, if it was you, just you a yeah. dungeon. It'd be a different all. game at that point. Yeah, yeah. I think. I don't know if I'm totally speaking out loud, but Capcom is working on that game deep down. They have been has, for a while, yeah. Does that have any random elements in it? It kind of seems like it might. I, I've i honestly not read enough about it to know. Well, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I guess, in the end, we didn't come away feeling as as bummy about roguelikes as I thought we would, I guess. Yeah. I, mean, I guess <laughs> There's a little bit of bullshit to them, but that's kind of I, inherent in the genre. Yeah, to it's a like, I, I, you know, I, I honestly... Think, can I say something? Go ahead. I think it's a series that, like, you will kind of have negative ex- experiences with a lot of them, like you with Dungeons of Dreadmore and then a lot of us with Splunk, or a lot of us with FTL, but when you find that game that hits with you, it's just like nothing else. Like, I spent hundreds of hours in Splunky. You spent hundreds of hours in Binding of Isaac. Like, mm-hmm. when you like a roguelike, it's really yeah, something it really, else. It really sticks to your bones. And, you know, Momi plays these kinds of games all the time. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll say one thing. It seems to me like having playing a game like that for 12 hours and then having it end like that <laughs> almost seems like it's kind of a meaningful experience in its own right. Kind of like when I was playing Dragon Quarter and died at the end of the, I see, the last I, hit. I, of I the see final what you're, I see what you're. I see what you're going for, and I'm not going to disagree. But I am going to say, fuck that game. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, if I play a game for twelve hours and then it just says, "Oh, sorry, you died," the end. 
that that seems like the kind of thing that would just kind of stick with my brain. Well, it's stuck with my brain. There. Oh, it's stuck. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. So don't know if that means it's good, <laughs> but that's <laughs> it's memorable. It's memorable. Uh-huh. I will tell that story to anybody that is asking about Dungeons of Dreadmore. <laughs> yep. I think it's less good, though, when it's just like, oh, there were a shitload of enemies in this one closet, not like this yeah, it strategic battle that went poorly, yeah. but yeah, it was it a was really or, exciting Or the thing like where you crawl into the tile and then use debug and you die. Yeah, that's yeah. clever. That's an mm. interesting way to go. But I just, I opened a door and immediately <laughs> got, and I got Sucker. swamped. And it was like, well, played the game. stupid me for thinking <laughs> a door would take me somewhere I needed to go. NetHack, there's this thing where you can, where there's eggs, and like one and third of the time, they're like petrification eggs that kill you when you eat them. So, like, <laughs> it's like, what do you do? What do you want from me, game, at that point? And at some point, it's like this luck management where it's like, okay, I know that this potion could set me on fire, but on the other hand, these guys will probably rip me to shreds. So, let's see if the, hopefully this is a potion of strength. Oh, no, it isn't. I am or on fire. Or maybe throw the potion at them and be like, all right, hope this is a potion of incineration. And, oh, it's a potion of xenomorph, and it just turned into a dragon. <laughs> oh, that, that's my experience with Brogue that I think is kind of yeah. interesting. That when you get like, into... Yeah? That, that sounds like the pills in Binding of Isaac, which are randomized every run. Yeah. Exactly. When, it, when you, the game can put you into... Where you can wind up in situations where... You, you, because of a fault of your own, you wound up in, an, in a hard situation, and then you make a judgment call knowing that there's a chance it will kill you, <laughs> which is an interesting experience, I think. So is that roguelikes? That's, I think that's roguelikes. Oh, hi. Didn't see you there. I'm Intermission Raquel, the fairy of abrupt and sudden segues. I'm only here because Polly was lazy and didn't want to think of a clever way to splice the roguelike portion of the podcast to a conversation happening before the emails portion. You'd think a trained audio engineer would be really uptight about that kind of thing. Shows what she thinks of you guys. Oh well, that's just more work for me. Anyway, here's the second half of a dumb podcast or something. Dragoncore is so good. Oh. He said that like he was biting into the most delectable chocolate <laughs> ever. Mm. So good. Dragon Quarter is so good. God, God, did I tell you there. about how I had to go out for ice cream after I lost on the final boss because I was so sad? <laughs> we had to go out for ice cream because I was just like bummed. She didn't feel better until. Admit like, it. You were it, you were inconsolable, and the only way Anna could console you was with ice cream. Yep. Is the for, best. For a second in that podcast part, I thought you were going to say Pokemon Mystery Dungeon was responsible for the popularity of roguelikes. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I guess that would be true to some degree. Shadow mm-hmm. the Wanderer. Yeah. Mention that one. Yeah, well, I just. I just did not pay attention to the genre until Binding of Isaac. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it was just a word I heard. Yeah. Mm. And back when that came out, I was like 10, so. Oh my yeah. god, you're so fucking young. Yeah. No, wait. <laughs> no. Come on. I'm bad at no, math. I was like you 17. are not a math person. Why are you programming <laughs> video games? 
You should stick to doing the art for video games, right? Oh, yeah, I'm way better at that. Way better. Oh, Reed and I are both experts at video game art. <laughs> I don't know, he made like 3,000 assets for Hunters. Yeah. Hunters is really fucking big. Hey, John, have you played uh, Hunters or Dark Souls yet? Nope. You suck so I'm playing. Dra- I'm finishing up <laughs> Dragon Quest 2. It's one of the lesser Dragon Quest games, but I figured I needed to wrap that one up before I could I'm play fin- Dark Souls. I'm finishing up a super grindy RPG so I can play another super grindy RPG. I need. I figured I'd, I'd need, like, a prep game before <laughs> Fantasy Star 2. Oh, God. Oh, God. That is going to be... So, oh, it's going to be painful. So, Polly, what do you think of Fantasy Star 2? <sighs> I liked that game when I was 11. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, I had some harsh words for him the other night about it. When when I tried to play it again on, uh, I think there was a Game Boy Advance collection. Uh-huh. Um, I got about four hours in and said, what the fuck was wrong with me? <laughs> this, this is the slowest, most boring, most ridiculously confusing in terms of dungeon design pieces of bullshit I've ever played. <laughs> give me, I am going into it with maps. Give me uh, Lunar... Like oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. If, you, if you use maps, then fine. Well, the game came with maps. Oh, yeah, for but you're supposed to play it with maps, as far as I'm concerned. It's like those old PC RPGs that would come with like books that tell you the text for... You go to this page to read the text that's supposed to be in the game. Yeah. This map was supposed to be in the game, so we put it with the game instead. And Fantasy Star 2 isn't slow, it's just intense. You can talk now, Rhett. Okay. Drown out John for me, please. Gives you time to (laughs) ponder your choices. Forces you to live with the consequences of your actions. Does it it really come with maps for every dungeon, though? I, I think so, yeah. I would have to pull my copy out and find out. I actually have a copy sitting in my car right now. Oh, really? Yeah. That's my pretty da- awesome. My dad found... I don't know if the maps are in there. My dad was in his basement and just found random old games in there. That's great. And some of them were Fantasy Star 2 and 4. That's cool. pretty rad. You need to play Fantasy Star 4 again. I need to see where my save is. Yeah, if your save is there, just continue it. I wouldn't even know how to continue, like, literally. <laughs> just, just find out where you are, find mm. a fact, and find out, like... Yeah, it's just no fun when you have to look up facts. Well, yeah. that's what I'm doing with Dragon Quest 2 since the save file is four years old. Yeah, I guess so. The cool thing is that Reiko Kodama is the lady who did, like, a bunch of... like She did Fantasy Star 1, Fantasy Star 2, Fantasy Star 4, Skies of Arcadia, and then this weird game, Nintendo DS game that only came out in Japan that looks amazing, Seventh Dragon. Huh. So she made the Fantasy Star games and then Skies of Arcadia... And then, like, nothing else. She got out of there while the getting was good. <laughs> yeah, clearly. So, like, is this the podcast right now? No. I don't think so. Because <laughs> I okay. wouldn't mind including this. I might, I might just splice some of it in there for no good reason as a segue <laughs> to... Hey, Rhett! Yes. You know, I heard you got some email for us this week, and I heard you probably got a lot. We actually got a bunch of emails this week. Well, why don't you get your lips to flapping and start reading them things so we can do the talky-talk answer thing. Okay. Hey there, lovely people. I'll keep this short and sweet. What's the chance of there being a Hardest Games Ever themed segment on the horizon? Hi, Fresno. 
It's not Fresno. Oh shit! Really? Swear to, it's not swear Fresno? to God, it's not Fresno. Um, well, is it anonymous? You can tell us who it is. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Okay. Um, okay. The chances of you. the hardest games ever. Like I don't like. How would we go about that? Would it be just like a list, or would it be like us talking about the hardest games we've ever played? I mean, conceivably, well, it's not terrible for you know a shorter uh, topic, I guess. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a little more to the email. I guess should should finish. Oh. Could be anything from tough games you conquered to ones where you had to throw in the towel. Ah, so I, I guess I guess that wouldn't be a terrible idea. Yeah, that could be interesting. Uh, we, I was we, thinking about it, and I think it is kind of weird to just be like. Man, Toho on Lunatic is really hard. Yeah, it's like we'd have to set some ground rules, like maybe, like, this game, out of the box, it's like, you know, all default settings. This game made me cry and weep like a little bitch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or I could just make a game in Game Maker where (laughs) one in 20,000 times you open it up, it doesn't kill you instantly. And it's like, all right, here's this game. Take a look and enjoy it. It's really hard. This might be the time you win. Oh, you could. I think you should make that anyway. Yeah, that sounds pretty great, actually. That's the that the other satire one I had in mind was like making a Metroidvania, where it's just like you need to f- collect a power up to get the ability to walk left, and then you collect a power <laughs> up that lets you jump, and then um, you get a power up that's like a super jump, and then one that shows the map. And <laughs> uh, DLC that, Quest kind of does that. Oh, okay. That I think there's a Flash game funny. that's very similar to that yeah. as well. But, uh, I mean, okay. I'm not, I think, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it, but I think that we would really have to, like... We would have to converse before trying to put together that kind of podcast. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it could work, but I think the thing is that it's really easy to make a really hard game. Yeah. Like... It's more Can like we only hard talk games. About good games? Yeah, it's, a- it's really hard games that are still worth playing. Mm-hmm. Because like half the shit on the NES is it's just like, hard and bad, hard. like Legacy of the Wizard, where like you were not getting through that game ever without a guide. Right, that is uh, like a game primarily designed with strategy guides in mind. Mm-hmm. Like Versus there's plenty like, of hard a good games. hard game like Fantasy Star Two. <laughs> well, you've never played it. <laughs> you idiot! Stop saying that. <laughs> Stop saying that you like things or that you have opinions on them when you've never touched them. Oh my god, I'm going to strangle you. <clears throat> but I Is mean, that, that email. I guess it's feasible that we could do one. We would have to really go over yeah a lot of guidelines as to how we would want to categorize it, or if we would want to do like, okay, here are games that are just bullshit. Here are games that are hard and good. You know, it's 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 not a terrible idea, and we will take it under consideration. Whenever an internet website does, like, the hardest games of all time, like, it just seems like such bullshit because there's so many hard games that are just not even worth playing whatsoever. Yeah. And when, when you're putting something like Contra on there, it's like, well, Contra's hard and good, and it's not even that hard. Right. Like, I just don't see the value in a true hardest games ever list because it would be stuff like some indie game that has a... One in twenty thousand chance of letting you win, and, and, I'll, just do, and I'll just make ten of those. And hard, <laughs> call them like Legend of the Dragon One, Legend of the Dragon Two. Post them all on my site, <laughs> yeah. and then make them like this one has a one in a hundred thousand chance. This one has a one in a million chance. <laughs> Actually, if you want to just make them and list them in order. If you want to be, if you want to be, if you want to be truthful to most people and how they gauge difficulty, now just call your game. It's like Dark Souls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, we'll take it under consideration. Can't guarantee anything. We're always talking about how we're going to do topics and stuff, so... Yeah, it's an idea. I think put it on the list, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, next email. I'm looking for the next email button. Uh, kind hosts of the SoxCast, I politely request that Skimpy Outfit Boner be made the SoxCast sex symbol. Hi, Raquel. How'd you know? Because she is <laughs> the only one that has ever had a dream about skimpy outfit boner with boobs. Um, no, Rhett is, uh, has been voted, has already been voted the socks cast sex symbol, uh, and he will remain socks cast sex symbol for the foreseeable future. I mean, it was a unanimous vote. It was a unanimous vote, so I'm not going to rob yourself, him. Right? I'm not going to rob him of that. <sighs> Me neither. Next email. Next email has three questions, so I'll space them out. <laughs> Any games the panel has played recently with good or memorable music? Shovel Knight. Majora's Mask. I was thinking Majora's Mask as well, so I'll say Fez, even though that was last year. Mm-hmm. Dragon Fez. Quarter. Fez has really good music. <laughs> yes, it does. I love the remix albums as well. You know what? Yeah. Go to the band camp of that dude that I don't remember his name. Just look up uh, the Fez soundtracks, go to Bandcamp, buy those soundtracks, all three of them, they are good. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like FZ side F and FZ side Z. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, Last of Us. I really like the classical gu- the guitar in that. I thought it was really good. I need to play that. Uh, mm-hmm. The music in Light was really good, too. Ooh. And the Sega Master System version of R-Type. I only listened to the song <laughs> for that when I played the arcade version. Nice. He's going deep for these. Deep cuts. Yeah. Deep cuts. <laughs> I only like the Master System version. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking hipster. <laughs> Next question. What, what's your ideal length for a game these days? Three I hours? I don't think I really have one. I think that the ideal length for a game is how long that it can sustain its mechanics uh, and still be fun. That's yeah. a better answer. Because That's I dumped, answer. because last year I dumped uh, a shit ton of time into Dark Souls, um, and I'm still working on a Soul Level One run, which I'll I'll finish someday. I sure promise. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Fuck the Four Kings. Um, but you, I thought you beat them. I did, but it drained me. It took everything I had. Oh. I just I didn't have it in me anymore. Um, but. Um, yeah, for me, it's just, if a game can sustain its mechanics for two hours, good. Uh, and it's a two-hour game, good. If it can sustain yeah. its mechanics for 50 hours, and it's, you know, it, it just largely depends on how much I'm enjoying yeah, I mean, I, we just played through Persona 4, so yeah, that's I as think, long as it gets for me, I think. How long did that take? Like 80 hours. Yeah, I think once you start to top, like, 80 to 100, that's... Games can be too long, definitely. Like I mm-hmm. think I think the only games I've ever put over eighty hours into uh, are Fantasy Star Online. Oh jeez, Fantasy <laughs> that count. Fantasy Star Universe, <laughs> um, Fantasy Star Online Two, uh, uh, Persona <laughs> Three, Persona Four, uh, Final Fantasy Seven, and Final Fantasy Tactics, and Dark Souls, and Dark Souls, <laughs> literally just Persona Four for me. I don't know how many hours I have in Dark Souls. I don't know how many hours I have in Dark Souls 2, but I know that it is not over 80 hours. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. 
I said three because a lot of games go over three and when it's not necessary. And really, it's just there are games that are best suited for being three minutes long, and then there are games where they do need a little more time to breathe. So... Yeah, I think it's totally, totally dependent on the game itself, where it's like, if it's this indie game that has one really unique hook, but that's it, like, it shouldn't be a 12-hour thing. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just going to... Error on the side of short and sweet. Yeah. Definitely. I, Definitely. I think, yeah, Portal did that, where... Exactly. Portal's, like, less than four hours long, if mm-hmm. you don't get really stuck or whatever. But it, like bringing up Skyward Sword where that's a game that just <laughs> felt like it had to be long for the sake of being long yeah. and padding and yeah. that's all people talk about now is where the game dragged on needlessly mm-hmm. so I think that's really bad but something like Dark Souls which is really long where I was engaged the entire time even though oh, that's a like, different kind of experience yeah mm-hmm. so but, yeah most I think most games a lot of modern games air on this are way too long like, do we agree there? Totally. Yeah. I, it's very. It's a lot rarer that I find a game that's too short that doesn't... I think people are really going for that, that quote-unquote bang for your buck and not really getting, you know, and, and they're adding, I guess, as little as possible because it takes money and time to generate content. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. really excited to play jazz punk because I know that that's only like two hours long or one hour, one and a half hour long, and, I'm ready <laughs> and to it's sit down weird. one night and enjoy it. Turn your brain off and enj- just enjoy that game's fantastic. Yeah. I'm really excited. Yeah, I really hate when you see people talk about games, and this is probably more common with RPGs where it's just like hours per dollar spent is like the only ratio they're looking at. Yeah, it's like oh, oh shitty. this game is oh. forty hours long, which means it's better or it's worse than this game that is sixty hours long. And there's, like, no consideration of, like, how good those hours are. Right. Where, like, a game that's two hours long could be completely amazing. Mm-hmm. But, oh, how dare you have a game that's $15 and two hours long yeah. or whatever. And Chrono Trigger and Mother 3 are, like, 25 and they're way better off for it. I thought Chrono was shorter than that. That's a really short for an RPG. Yeah. And it's so solid. But, yeah, it's just, it's packed. It doesn't waste your time. There's, like, no really long dungeons until the very end. And it's mm. and, it, and that dungeon's only long because it's meant to be this epic moment. Yeah, it builds up to its climax very well. Except yeah. uh, except like the first few, the, the the first form of Lavos is kind of junk where you just you're just fighting older bosses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah they've taken a few of the bosses and actually made them harder than that yeah. could have been interesting. Yeah. Like but maybe it, but just instead, on Magus or Giga Guy and. But, but instead, it's just—it's—it's it's just the same bosses you fought with the same amount of life, with the same attacks, with the same stats, and it's just—it's—it's it's a time waster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of get that now. But like when the game was new, like you'd want to try and fight Lavos as soon as possible, and like those forms give you the illusion that you have a shot of winning. Where it's yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm like spending several minutes on each form, and like, oh, I can do this. I'll beat him, and then you eventually reach something. You're just completely wiped out. But yeah, when you're actually appropriately leveled to beat him, you're just one-shotting like the first all of I those. I never thought of it from that perspective. That actually does make it seem a little make a little more sense. I think it's the problem is when you're properly leveled, like the transition takes longer than the actual fights. Yeah, you just one-shot and then. But yeah, whereas whereas we all know <laughs> at this point that to wait to fight Lavos until we do the side quest stuff, and other people might go, "Oh, well, go fight Lavos," and then. Yeah, they'll just 
or they'll use the the epoch and go fight inner lavas and just get destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I guess you do fight him after doing the temple. Never mind. <laughs> I was trying to trail him out there. But yeah, I think with game length, it's more about don't have padding. I just hate padding. Yeah. yeah. Like, Air on the side and short of short and sweet. Yep. Okay, next question. If you could give any old series a modern installment, what would you go with? Pokemon? Shut up. <laughs> no, like an actual modernization, stripping down, reinvention of that series would be really interesting to me. Instead of just kind of retreading it over uh, and over. <laughs> My answer kind of already exists with Hardcore Uprising, honestly. Mm-hmm. Or, um, like, a, the same thing, like a Pac-Man Championship Edition, but for Sonic, 2D Sonic, which might be Freedom Planet. I need to play that. I think Sonic Generations was kind of that. It's yeah, pretty... Sonic, it, yeah. Sonic Generation was like that for 3D Sonic. I don't really think it... It didn't really change. Yeah, it didn't really change 2D Sonic, but uh, it did it well enough. Yeah. Like, what I'm looking for, because 3D Sonic and 2D Sonic are basically different games. There's one that's memorize, memorize these cool courses and have a blast just kind of trying to race through them as quick as you can. And then this momentum platformer thing. Which so, is also about memorizing the levels and trying to get through them as fast. Yeah, because Not you've kinda. got to get you've, you've you've got to get you know like you want to get to those higher paths because they they feature the least resistance mm-hmm. and they're much faster. Mm-hmm. So that's they have there's a connective tissue there, but I think Sonic Generations yeah. is still a very different kind of game from 2D Sonic. So I I'd be interested in seeing a 2D platformer that's like an actual reinvention of those games. And I think, I think uh, Sonic Editions is brilliant because it does the 3D Sonic so well. I, th- I think Freedom Planet might be what you're looking for. Cool. I'm excited. That's probably why it's on the brain. Yeah. I think series I want a new entry from that isn't junk would be Metroid. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, God. Yeah. Star how? Fox. How about Star Fox? Yeah. Star Fox, Star Fox is a good go answer, with that. Too. That Bayonetta 2 fucking oh, <laughs> Easter egg. So I don't funny. care. People, nobody <laughs> listens to this shit anyway. <laughs> That was the coolest thing I've seen in so long. Yeah. Platinum Games. The Do new it. Star, new Star Fox. Let's just give it to me. Well, they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nintendo said they're working on a new Star Fox. Yeah, but that's Nintendo, and they're dumb. There weren't any good Star Fox games outside of the first two, right? No. Not is really. that Yeah, okay. That's it's what I the first one in 64. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. it. That is the, oh, yeah. and then that is Star, the Star Fox, Fox canon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Oh, if you want to talk Star Fox canon... Was the DS okay. one has some interesting endings? Oh my god! <laughs> Having seen some of those, they're oh my god, those endings are bonkers. Doesn't someone commit suicide in one of them, or it seems oh like they're god, going really? to? They're really crazy. I don't know about suicide, but I think Fox might die in some of them. And like Crystal mm-hmm. changes her name to Cursed. Oh I god, playing- that is the oh dumbest god. fucking thing! <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I played God. that. I played Star Fox Command for thirty seconds with the stylus and was like, "This feels like shit." Oh, I, I'm and, really, uh, I'm really glad. Forever. I'm really glad we're past the stylus to move stuff. Yeah, I, just I, I really like Phantom Hourglass. Is I just that even that valid? one, I just could not get into those. Just okay. give me a deep head for God's sakes. Is that valid though? It's, Phantom Hourglass is legit awesome. I liked it. Uh, did, did anyone play Spirit Tracks? What nope. I've seen of it looked real junk. Okay, because I know I played the like Phantom Hourglass, and I freaking love Phantom Hourglass. So 
I mean, if you like that one, you'd probably like Spirit Tracks, but I think... Maybe, but I don't know. Trains are kind of weird. It, it, it's too much of the same, I think. Okay. Cool. Phantom Hourglass kind of had that hub world, hub dungeon hook. That was kind of interesting. So it wasn't just like the new movement scheme. Yeah. But like, right? how criminal is it that we've gone... DS and 3DS now with no 2D Metroid game. Like, what the um, hell, Nintendo? It's a fucking bummer. It's it really sucks. It, it really does, you know. And, and and they're still throwing her in Smash. Well, I mean, they barely take anyone out of those games except for fucking ice climbers. Anyway, but <laughs> I just I really want a new Metroid that isn't junk. I I do too. Because Other M was kind of junk. I totally agree. You know, it's funny, though. I had the idea when playing oh, Majora's Mask <laughs> oh, no. that, you know, how Other M has the mode where, you know, it's mostly a 2D game, but then you can go into first person. Yeah. I actually thought that would be a kind of a cool control scheme for a Zelda game where it would be top down like the old games most of the time. But then you could do the bow or the hook shot in first person. That would actually be kind of neat. So like Metal Gear Solid, kind of. Yeah, like that, that's yeah. kind of what Metal Gear Solid does with uh, <clears throat> in the second game, third game. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I just was thinking how it's interesting how Majora's Mask and Ocarina go into first person for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think an overworld perspective would really fit those. Yeah, because those yeah the, the way movement works in those games where like you're jumping automatically, it's not really 3D as we think of it. Uh, anyways, there are 3D spaces that just is a different yeah. kind of. Like the the first dungeon in Ocarina, where you fall all, fall into the through the dungeon down to yeah. the web at the bottom. That's totally three D space. Yeah, but I think those games would work from a top down perspective. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Like Link, Link Between World does those exact kind of puzzles. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what yeah. I was thinking okay. of. Uh, cool. so next email, because yes, that's the section we're still on. <laughs> a man of few words again writes in, anime. It's all right. <laughs> I think it's great. I think yeah. it's good, but I haven't really watched anything since you Evangelion. You haven't watched anything in a while. I haven't watched anything since Evangelion 3.33. It, it ruined <laughs> anime for you? Not really. I didn't think it was terrible, but I just, I guess... You really like 2. Eh. Okay. What? 2 is alright. I just, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of fell away from my, those 2 a little bit. My opinion on Japanese cartoons has been... Like, I haven't really watched a series since the, the end of 2011. So, God. God. It's, it's been a while. You kept buying stuff, too. I did. I kept buying stuff, and I've still got to watch um, Shin Sakai no Yori, I think is the name. Yep. Oh, yeah, that looked interesting. Yeah, I've that got was to watch on that. Your, your list, right, Reet? Yeah. Cool. Um, I watched Madoka Magica with Anna and Fooly Cooly with Anna, and I still think those shows are both amazing. Not gonna yeah, argue there. Not gonna yeah. argue there. Uh, I thought, Anna thought Madoka was pretty good and hated Fully Cooley. <laughs> she needed to so, turn her brain off. That's all she's got to do. What you gonna do? I thought it was weird getting this email because we did talk about anime at the top of episode three a bit. Or 3.1. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I kind of stopped watching a ton of stuff at the start of this year. Mm-hmm. I've slowly started to get back in. I started watching Space Dandy season two. Mm-hmm. I like that show. That show's fun. I like. I really like to tack on Titan and Kill a Kill. I watched both of those back to back and thought they were great. I hear so many conflicting opinions about Kill a Kill. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah that's that's a con- <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. It's pretty. Uh-huh. I really liked the first half, and then it kind of fell apart. So many people tell me that I do need to watch Attack on Titan, though. Oh, uh, I don't. I would. I really like Attack on Titan. I think it's really good. I would say it's inessential because it's based off this manga, and it just kind of ends without an ending. Oh, yeah, that's that just true. So you might. I think they're making another season. So I mean, of course they will. It's like insanely popular. Yeah. So but it's like, it's it's unfinished. As an unfinished yeah. thing, I think it's really good. Like, yeah. Like I'm not sure at this point if anime is a thing I'll ever be super hardcore into because just where the trends are now are where I am not. You know, That's I'm fair. we're like I don't think we're ever going to see anything as involved as another Ghost in the Shell standalone complex um or Deno Coil. Uh, mm-hmm. Or or Bacano or uh, there is a second season of uh, Durarara coming, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, I think that's really soon. I think it's spring 2015. Maybe. So so I might get lured back in with the thought of more of that show because I really loved it. Yeah. So, um, but as, I mean, I think there is still good stuff out there. I just it does feel like the moe and the fan service just kind of drowns everything out even more mm-hmm. so than a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 20, 2011 had Madoka and, um, uh, the show by the Utna guy, um, the penguin drum. So that was oh. a really oh. good year for me. So I really love both of those shows and I <laughs> yeah. still want to watch all the stuff by the Madoka guy. It seems like he just keeps hurling out good shows. Like he did psychopaths and fate zero and Madoka. I've only watch watched Madoka. You should yeah, watch Phase Zero. I know. I'm going to watch Phase Zero. That's next then, on my list. And then, once you watch Phase Zero, you tell Polly to watch Phase Zero. And then, none of us will watch Phase Day Night. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it only, took, it, only took, it only took Rhett, what, how long was it to get me to watch Elf and Lead? Oh my god, that was a long time ago. That was, uh, I, I think you bugged me about that for, god, and I wasn't into anime at all at the time. Elf and Lead's a great show for someone who's not into anime. <laughs> That, that I, I, think, I think Black Lagoon mm-hmm. is a much better show for people. No, I, I don't think Elf and Lead is really. I don't really like Elf and Lead. I was. Just, it's just like coming in, coming off of Death Note, going into Elf and Lead immediately was like, oh, this is. I can still enjoy Elf cool. and Lead for what it is, but that show yeah. is so fucking dumb. It's just <laughs> really dumb. Oh, it's so, so fucking dumb. dumb. You turn your brain off and just be like, yep, yeah, this is yeah, this is maybe. completely inconceivable. And it's mm-hmm. just so stupid, but I-, I still enjoy it because it's basically got what got me back into anime, and I would never have mm-hmm. caught better shows uh, like Gunslinger Girl or Higurashi or Haruhi mm-hmm. had I not watched Elf and Lead. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say. Elf and Lead was great for 16-year-old me getting into anime. Yeah, Elf and Lead was our gateway drug back into anime in, yeah. like, 2005. And yeah. it was sort of my gateway in after Death Note, so... That's that's something that it's, it was worth something to me for that, but yeah. And then you yeah, go I, back really, and... I don't really feel good feelings about the show like, at it's all. It's like now. I'm I'm only going to go out of my way to watch a new a new show if it's something you know that I think that, that anybody tells me is on the same level as something like Sora no Woto. Um, hey or, hey hey! You should watch Senseki Yori. I'm going to. You just said that a year ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to. This is a common thread, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, I'm you said you to. do this, and oh, you need to do this. Oh, oh okay. I'll, I try That's not true. to you know what? A lot of great things start at somebody's insistence. Obnoxious, constant <laughs> yeah. insistence. Yeah, that, that's so. true. This is true. Play Dark Souls and Hunters, you idiot. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I will... 
I don't. I'm going to try not to resent that insistence because I know it is coming from a very good place, and because I have been the insister in many a time. So, oh, I got. That's how I got Anna to watch. Full, not really, but we watched um, Full Metal Alchemist and Utna, and those were shows that she actually really enjoyed. Utna, Utna, Utna. <laughs> yeah. Isn't like it, we both basically it, just. Isn't it Utena? Utena's our favorite. Isn't it Utena? So. Utena. 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 That's true. I'm calling it Utena. 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 So yeah, anime is pretty okay around these parts, but not. I so like much anime lately. a lot. I have a bunch I of stuff. Want to read more comics? Oh god, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about them. I'm just saying I want to read more of them. All right, I have next. some. I have some stuff I want to watch soon, that so maybe I'll have a little anime corner on future podcasts. We can do that. Yeah. Maybe we can talk about <laughs> Fate Zero when I watch it. Oh, God. I'd be down. I wouldn't want to talk about that because I would not want to spoil it for Polly. Oh, okay. like When John watches it, it, I'll watch it. Cool. Oh, oh well, great. Well, okay. You've got plans for 2016. Nice. So it'll only That's be until 2016. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Netflix. I might give it a watch pretty soon, actually. Once I'm done with Fantasy Star 2. Right, yeah, right after you finish Dark Souls this summer. <laughs> <laughs> I am getting ready for a wedding. <laughs> a little bit of excuses. Okay, right, real talk. Next I don't. No, no, no. I gotta back up now. Uh, that I started that. I don't even okay. care if you play Dark Souls right now. Can you just yeah. play Hunter sometime? Oh, I know that that really does like, kind of hurt. That's a game like, I, I made. That, like that's Austin different. still hasn't played any of my games, and it's like, come well, on. That that sucks. He's not oh, a good friend. Then I played all your games. I know. I, I, I really played all your games that. too, and you can't play Rhett's masterwork. I know. You played Super half of it. You can't. You you're going to <laughs> yeah, put, you're going to put Fantasy Star Two. Zoxer are like ten times. I think over three me. hard years of work that one of your closest friends that you host a podcast with <laughs> put his life into the culmination of everything that he had created up until then and you can't make time for that right. okay can we move on this got too real this got too real for me hunters. after fantasy star 2 <laughs> there we go great segu <laughs> Next email. This one's for Polly. Right. Which K-On would you rob a bank with? What? <laughs> um, the only answer is Ritsu, of course, because she is the only character in that show worth a damn, and she just happened to have the unfortunate luck of being in the wrong show. Any other show like she could be which in. Which Eureka 7 character would you rob a bank with? Which Eureka 7 character's throat would I slit? I think that's a better question. No, that's all of them. <laughs> exactly. I uh, think there's an MA. The answer is Ritsu um, because one, she is a drummer, and drummers are awesome. I say this from experience. Uh, and two, uh, I don't know, she's got a, a, a personality that, yeah, she's kind of an idiot, but it's kind of like a fun idiot. Aren't they all idiots? I don't, I've never seen K On. They're all basically it. K On is a show about idiots. Four idiots. There, I said it. <laughs> cool. My answer would be I'd rob a bank with Yui because she might get shot. <laughs> I 
would rob a bank with Moogie because her eyebrows would make a great bulletproof shield. <laughs> okay, I guess this is the last email. John, get ready. Oh, yes, I Hold am. on, I'm going to get my pillow. Wait, wait, does anybody need to use the bathroom? I'm a, I'm I think, a, I'm I think a, we can just go. Just go. Okay, let's do it. It's <laughs> her. Dear wonderful podcast people, this is a question for John that he can answer with much enthusiasm. I feed off his enthusiasm. What is the best Japanese computer and the three best games for said Japanese computer? Love, John. Sounds like Quincy. All right. I'm okay with that. All right. Well, the history of Japanese computing <laughs> is a long and illustrious one. Beginning in... Okay, no. Um, Did you write an essay? <laughs> uh, no, I, I just wrote a little outline of some games I wanted to talk about. Basically, okay. there's like seven computers that matter, as far as I can tell. And That's more there's like thought. three generations of 8-bit... Three 8-bit ones, and then they're kind of 90s predecessors. So the 8-bit ones are the NEC PC-88, the Sharp X1, and then the... Fujitsu Micro 7, the FM7, and then the PC, NEC PC98, the Sharp X68000, and then the FM Towns. Um, I didn't play any of the FM ones, because as far as I could tell, they didn't really have anything exclusive to them that I couldn't just play on the Sharp or the NEC systems, so I just ignored those, that, those entirely. Um, the really popular ones were the PC88 and the PC98. That's where you'll find a whole bunch of series that started here that you you all know about like ease got started on the pc 88 um dragon slayer uh Silphied, um Wib arm you probably haven't heard of that one but the black yeah. onyx um, is basically the first jrpg and it led directly to stuff like dragon quest and stuff and that started on the pc 88 and everybody's favorite um Hydlide, started on the pc 88 love Hydlide. yeah there you go so with the PC-88 is really cool because it has all the birth of these kind of genres. So, like, stuff like Ease and High Glide, it's, it's very refined nowadays. But think of where we wouldn't be... Oh, and Dragon Slayer. But think of... We wouldn't have... Those are the kind of games that led to games like The Legend of Zelda existing. So, on an academic level, they're really cool. And yeah. then the cool thing about Sylphid and Wibarm and Star Cruiser, which is the sequel to Wibarm, kind of, is that they have polygons and they're, like, really advanced to look at for like an 8-bit computer. So Silpede uh, is the game that got the Sega CD version later on? Yes, it did. It got the remake. And yeah. the Silpede was its 8-bit predecessor that still used polygons. That's really crazy. That's it is, isn't it? It's really cool. So that's... um. So the PC-8 is really cool. The thing is that I haven't really found anything on it that's really worth playing on its own. Because, like, Ease is good, but you can play that on the modern versions of the Turbo Graphics, and it's better. Um, Sylphid is good, but yeah, you're better. It's, not, it's still kind of repetitive, and you'll probably be better off playing the Sega CD update. Um, Star Cruiser got a better version on the Sega Genesis, which is actually one of Hideaki Kamiya's favorite games ever, which I think is kind of cool. It's a first-person... RPG shooter for the Sega Genesis in the late 80s or in the um, early 90s that came out an 8-bit computer with polygons too. So that's the kind of the PC-88. There's nothing about it that I'd really say you should go out and necessarily play if you're not being all academic. PC-98 is cool because it's where Popful Mail and Evo started, as in like the Sega CD action RPG and Evo, the cool game for the SNES. Yep. Yep. So that started on the PC 
98. And Toho started on the PC 98. Indeed it did. Five oh. games. I've beaten all of them. Might, um, be, might be an episode about that sometime. There you go. Toho, if you want... So here's a concrete recommendation. Play one of the Toho games if you played the PC, the Windows ones and enjoyed them because that's it's really cool. And they're the first, really interesting in terms of just early bullet hell kind of shooters. Mm-hmm. The music is also really good. Oh, I it, love the music in those yeah. games. Um, the first one is this weird breakout type thing, and it's really hard. And I spent like an hour and a half trying to beat the final boss, and it wasn't really <laughs> worth it. But the other four are pretty good, um, especially the fifth one. Um, also, Night Slave, which is a... I haven't actually played this one yet. I'm meaning to. It's basically a Cybernator clone that I've heard is really good as an action game. You've and also my a, interest. And also an 18-plus BDSM hentai game. Um, isn't, isn't there an actual Cybernator prequel? Uh, yeah, it's yeah, on the Genesis. It's, Cybernator is Assault Suit Vulcan 2. Yes. Oh, it's and, on the Genesis, though. And Assault Suit Vulcan 1. Assault Suit Vulcan 2 is for the Super Famicom. And Assault Suit Vulcan was on the Sega Genesis. Oh, okay. So, so if you want to play more Cybernator, you can either play the Assault Suit Vulcan on the Genesis. Assault can... Suit Vulcan is fucking hard, though. Be forewarned. <laughs> those games don't play around. And I want to play the Japanese version of Cybernator because it has a bunch of cool, like, extra text stuff. Yep. It has a scene where you jump into a guy's, like, a general's, like, dining room in the mech, and this oh little God. tiny sprite in front of you stands up and blows his head off. Oh, jeez. Isn't that dark and that's weird? really awesome. Oh, my God. So that's Assault Suit Vulcan 2. Um, and you can play Night Slave if you want more of that and are okay with BDSM hentai. <clears throat> so that's the PC-98 and the PC-88. Um, the Sharp X1, pretty much everything on there you can play on the PC-88, and it's just as good basically except for these two games by this one japanese professor who like didn't make any other games after that but he made this game called kagiri naki tatakai which is probably my favorite of any of these games that i've played and it's basically like a static layout version of spelunky but from like the late 80s you can you have a selection of bombs and missiles that can blow up all of the terrain and you can fly and the goal is just to get as deep as you can into the surface of this planet. And you can does, tear tear apart the terrain. What were you going to say? Does it have random elements like Splunky? A little bit. The terrain is static. The level design oh, is static. Okay. Uh, some, some of the enemy layouts are random, though. If it, weren't, if it were random elements, it would probably be really well-known today. And it's kind of hard to control because yeah. it feels old. Because the frame rate's really low. It accepts input at a pretty low rate. But... I think it's really cool. I've played it for about five hours or so. I've gotten about to 512 meters out of 600. It's really friggin' hard. Oh, I think I remember you talking about this now. Oh, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> and he also made a game called Brain Breaker, which is a sort of a Castlevania II um, elevator action type game, where uh, most of the action parts are played like an elevator action game, but then it has this kind of obtuse exploration element to it that you don't really understand because it's all in Japanese. Um, I haven't played that one as much, but it sounds well, kind maybe of interesting. It's, maybe it's not so obtuse, it's just you don't know Japanese. Yeah, so there you go. Um, the Sharp X68000 is the 16-bit, pre- um, not predecessor. Successor. Um, decessor, um to the Sharp X1, and it's probably the most impressive, the best system on this list. 
not necessarily for its system library, but just for what it can do. And the coolest thing about the Sharp X68000 is that it basically um, had arcade-perfect ports in the, nine, in the early 90s when nothing else had that. So you could play all these shmups and games for, uh, at home that were only in the arcades, and they were just perfect ports. It's a hell of a calling card for the early 90s. Yeah, so that's super badass. Um, as far as original games go, there's not that much. Um, the people who made Jumping Flash have a predecessor for that called Geograph Seal, which is like Jumping Flash, but it's a lot more emphasis on shooting. You, you streamed that once, didn't you? Yeah, it's yes, really good. That game was really impressive. Yeah, I think that game's really cool, and the music's great, too. They made a Bionic Commando kind of grapple game called The Quails that I haven't played yet. Huh. And um, Castlevania Chronicles for the PlayStation started off as an X68000 game. So if you want to play the original version of that, that's where you go. I think the email said to select the best computer and the yeah. three best games for it. Which is the best? And of all those, probably none of them. I think it's probably the MSX is the best. <laughs> so what's great about the MSX? Um, well, it's where a bunch of kick-ass game series got started, and a lot of them are still really playable today. Mostly Metal Gear 2 is amazing. It's just incredibly impressive. Yeah, it's like the first me- the first Metal Gear is really rough around the edges. It's kind of brain dead in a lot of ways. Yeah, but... you just kind of walk around and do this little puzzle box where it's like, oh, I need this item for here and this item for here and this item for here. And, and, and all the boss here. fights. Oh, it's done. And all the boss fights are stand in a corner and shoot the remote controlled missile. Exactly. So that's, uh, Metal but, Gear One's not too impressive. But Metal Gear Two is super goddamn impressive when you consider the limitations of the MSX. It couldn't even do scrolling. Mm-hmm. And they still made this really cool-looking game yeah. that presents itself in such a classy, Kojima-y way. And it's where the Soliton radar basically got its uh, its start, because like you know there were nine screens visible on that radar at the time, and enemies were always moving in those nine squares. Which is so cool. Yeah, it so, makes it so much more dynamic than the first game. It's more too. dynamic. It felt way more alive. You felt like you were in a lot more danger because, you know, the enemies were always on their routes. They would sometimes diverge from their routes. Mm-hmm. But but you could but you also were able to distract enemies with sound and shit, which, you know, was not possible in the original. Mm-hmm. So if you like 8-bit demakes, like the 8-bit demakes of the Mega Man games, this is basically the closest thing to a Metal Gear Solid game demake. Yeah, and Metal it, Gear Solid it One. Itself. Yeah, Metal, Metal Gear Solid One is essentially uh, Metal Gear Two remade, really. Exactly. So you can see all the cool stuff that got started in that game, but then so much of that cinematic quality of it is preserved in this eight-bit dopey computer from the '80s. Yeah, and that's so cool. And it's think. a really impressive game. Uh huh. And compile shooters, all of them. <laughs> they got started on the MSX. Wow. They're all good. So how does that um, work if they can't do scrolling? They just, I don't know, look, just, it's compile. They do that. Did you I play Xanthus? I think Zan- that you can, like, you can move objects down, so you probably just have these tile sets that you scroll down the screen. Mm. But it could not do scrolling in the sense of, like, Contra, or as yeah. it's called, it's Grizor on the MSX, is a screen at a time. So. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just play compile shooters, right? Moosh yeah. is probably the best one on the Genesis. Yeah. They're all just cool. Their and NES stuff is incredible. Yeah, it's so mind-boggling when you play one of their NES games. 
So yeah, just that's my second answer is Compile. <laughs> Metal Gear 2 and Compile. And then I haven't actually – and then um, two more answers I guess. Um, Snatcher was started on the P- – I think it actually was on the PC-88 too, but it also got an MSX release. Huh. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. And then um, Maze of Gallius is the game that really directly inspired La Mulana. Yeah. So that's super cool. And Maze of Gallia sounds really interesting too. And I've been meaning to get that one. The one, the one my favorite of all of these is probably Kigiri Naki Tatakai. Because it's so weird and hard to run. Everybody go out there and play <laughs> Kakaki Nakakitukai. <laughs> Kigiri Naki Tatakai. I'll get right on that's, it. That's what I said. Uh, I'm probably going to ho- try to host it on my website at some point. Because getting the emulator run is real pain. We only so talk put- about legal things here john <laughs> sorry criminal so i can just compile put all that in a zip file so you can just press play and get it running and then you press I'll press the purchase everyone. button on ebay to purchase those discs <laughs> so that you're <laughs> able to properly run them in the emulator as it was intended exactly so now everyone will be so then everyone upon purchasing the disc um will be able to play kagiri nakitatakai which was released by enix um, they actually did a thing where they had like a contest where people would send in game prototypes and then they'd take the best one and then re- the best ones and release it and then pay the guy who made the game. Yeah, and that's how that say, came out. They take the best ideas and steal them. <laughs> no. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and they put his photograph on the back of the box. It's like, <laughs> this is the man who made this game and he's, we're sending him money and it's really neat. So it's um, like indie development back in the day. Kind of. The game the was just made by one guy. Phoenix, who, you know, made, yeah. made a couple of You needed a publisher, but the game was made by one person. Totally. So is that a pretty complete answer? Poyo Poyo and Bomberman both got started on the MSX. It was, was about a 15-minute answer, I think. Was, <laughs> I think that's Konami, complete... was Konami was the MSX, basically. They yeah. were really cool. It's so weird that those systems just didn't come out over here whatsoever. I think mm-hmm. it's just there was a larger focus on console games, and I don't really think PCs became affordable until the 90s. I think that has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the good news is that most of these, there are better versions. The good, really good stuff got released here in some form or another, like Starcruise. Uh, Star got a Genesis release. I think that was still Japan only, but um, Jumping Flash came out over here. Uh, Castlevania came out over here. Ease came out over here. Hide Light came out of here over here. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> it is the- interesting to see the origins of these games, mm-hmm. and like some of them are dramatically different. Like Evo Search for Eden, the whatever. Yeah, it was like FX. an RPG originally. Yeah, it's like completely different. Yeah, mm-hmm. instead of an action game. Also, if you want. Let's, I know that you, the Hydlide came out here. Super Hydlide for the Genesis came out here. And Virtual Hydlide came out here. Uh-huh. If you want to play Hydlide 2, the only can way you can Mike? play it is to go to the original PC-88 release or the Sharp X1 port or whatever. So if you want to get the full Hydlide experience... Which everybody does. Just, Everybody's just... Yeah, the frothing demand for more Hydlide continues. <laughs> increases. <laughs> so that's the only way you can get that full experience. So if you need help... I'm all yes, ears. If you email, if you need help, need help setting John. up Hydlide 2, 
then you can rest assured that the Nest port of Hydlide 1 is perfectly acceptable. You can play that and get the complete experience. <laughs> if you want Hydlide 2, you'll need some to set up some weird stuff. The complete experience. If you want the complete experience, you can also try banging your head against a wall. It's another good idea. It's basically arcade perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty funny how these games that really weren't fun at all, like Ease 1, Dragon Slayer 1, um, Hydlide, Tower of Draga. Oh. Like, the, basically, like, take out any one of those games, and probably The Legend of Zelda might not exist as it did. And then that game is so much better. It's a solid point. Ugh, it's how weird. Much, how different does the original Ease 1 play? Because the remake on Steam, which is, like, the newest version from 2012, it still has you just walking into enemies to damage them. Yeah, it does. Like, well, the main thing just... is, that, is that instead of putting you in the center of the screen... You have to walk up to the side, and it only starts scrolling when you're, like, four tiles away from the oh. edge. So, yeah, like, what? So what the heck? What do you do? So that's yes. ease one and two. Scrolling in old games was weird before they had smart cameras. Oh, yeah. Like, there's so many Genesis games where it's the same thing. You have to get, like, 70% across the screen for it to move. Yeah. And the and the Game Maker tutorial, by default, is that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, God. It is. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yep. So there's a bunch of crappy Game Maker games that play like that. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. That was the toughest part of KTP was figuring out the scrolling. Yeah. I kind of banged my head against that for like three days until I just realized, oh, if I write two lines of code, it'll do everything perfectly. Have you seen that tutorial on, not tutorial, but guide on how the camera in Super Mario World works? Yes, that's so it's, crazy. It's so good. It's so oh helpful. My God. Like I had, you'd never have any idea playing the game normally. And that's and that's the thing. You're not supposed to think about those kinds of things when you're playing a game. Yeah. So, mm. like, the I fact never... that they're invisible is a testament to their strength. Exactly. Like I literally never thought of a camera being a thing in a game until Super Mario sixty four. Yeah. Yeah, which kind of is a testament to that game's camera. Because <laughs> when once games were in three D, it was too obvious. Like. There is a few points, and you can manipulate it yourself now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was obviously rough around the edges in Super Mario sixty four, but then they went on to perfect it in Sunshine, and we've been kind oh. of scrolling <laughs> and perfectly clear from him. Shut up! So that it, those are the best. Those are that is the retro Japanese computing experience. I hope I don't get any diehard oh, FM seven and FM Towns fans after my blood I, for this. I think we're safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? The sequ- to the successor of the NEC. PC-98 was? PC-99. The NEC PC Engine, released here as the TurboGrafx-16. Mind blown? Not really. Oh. Well, you know what the successor to the PC Engine was? Uh, a grave? The PC-FX. Oh, whoa. Had, like, 32-bit system. Had, like, 20 games. None of them were good. Yeah, that did not come out over here. And it died. Then what there were no more NEC systems. Do you know what year that was? No. Sorry. It was, it was probably late 90s. Uh, I just wonder if it was pre or post PlayStation, because the mm-hmm. landscape really changed. Yeah. yeah. So that so we only got the piece of the TurboGrafx part of that experience. Oh, we but got AirZonk. Yep. So if you want the, <laughs> Don't you So dare. if you want to dig into the complete history of the Turbo Graphics and its successor, then you'll need to dig into this stuff. 
I think this means we don't have to do another podcast about retro Japanese computing. Yeah, in the so, so you consider this a, do- a bullet dodged for the future. Do you know what company was behind the MSX? Uh, let me look it up. Um, no, nope, too not. late. I'm already doing it. But I just think it's weird that you know you have the MSX, the Sharp, and the PC stuff. I mean, the Turbo Graphics came out for, for the most part. Like this was all just happening in Japan without America really having any idea because we didn't have the internet back then. Right. It was announced by Microsoft. What? The MSX. Huh. But it was conceived by a Japanese guy, um, director of the ASCII Corporation, and it was most popular in Japan, the Middle East, Brazil, the Soviet Union, and Spain. That's it was really see? popular in Japan and Europe, basically. Even though so it was like, made by Microsoft. This stuff wasn't just 100% in Japan then. No. It just I never guess, came to America. I guess America. Um, you can take Japan. You can test, take the MSX off the list then if we want to talk about exclusively oh, Japanese computing. <laughs> I think we're good. Yeah. So yeah, those six computers I talked about then. And the best is the MSX because it has exclusives. Basically. Although PC-898 has Toho. I think. It does have Toho and yeah, Nightscape. That's a pretty good argument. <laughs> Toho is a pretty good argument. And also it has Rusty, which is a um, Castlevania-type clone. Mm-hmm. Huh. Also, just a bunch of hentai visual novels. <laughs> yeah, I bunch. remember I googled PC-98 and I got some image site and it asked like, if I'm 18. I'm like, I'm going to a video game website. Why is it acting like a 2000-era porn site? And then I get there, it's like, oh. And it's a 2000-era porn site. Yeah, I'm like, oh. <laughs> a, they actually have kind of a unique look to them just because of the Hmm. The fidelity, yeah, or lack thereof. It, it uses exactly. frames. I actually really like, kind of like how. Hmm. <clears throat> Never mind. <laughs> All right. I think that'll do it. Cool. I just think Christine. I think Christine Love and Le- <laughs> Leah Alexander were talking a bunch about um, yeah. PC ninety eight hentai on Twitter. I saw and that. It was pretty fun to watch. <laughs> Passing so- links. Podcast at socksmakepeoplesexy.net for all your porn visual novel needs. <laughs> um, so, John, like night. John, where can we find yeah. you? You can find me at john.thire at gmail.com or farawaytimes.com. Rhett. Or, twi- oh, or Twitter at <laughs> chronomaniac underscore chrono underscore maniac. Rhett, before you were so rudely interrupted by an <laughs> asshole... <laughs> Where can we find you? Inconsequentialexistence.com fucking dick. <laughs> <sighs> okay, just go to yourself. Protomaniac42 on YouTube. Brett. <laughs> I said it. I'm done. I'm out. Inconsequentialexistence.com Inconsequential <laughs> Should only one of us say it? I uh, hate you both. Existence.com. I better get a ton of hits for this. <laughs> We're the podcast that loves you. We're the only ones that love you. I am gonna take the big dump the moment I get home. I am gonna take the big dump the moment I get home. I'm gonna take a big dump. Dang it, dang it. He's gonna take a big dump. Mario, what the fuck are you doing? Take a big dump. Take a big dump. Take a big dump the moment I get home.